Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Health Coach Lou, and you're listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. You're going to hear conversations from health professionals from around the world. We discuss mindset, diet, exercise, and that latest in health technology. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a special guest in the virtual building today, uh, Dr. John White, Chief Medical Officer of WebMD. Uh, Dr. White, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for letting me join you, even virtually. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So, you know, I've been, uh, you've been on kind of the, the front lines of this whole pandemic and making sure that people not only get information, but correct information, you know, and get, getting the facts. Tell me how had, how did that start with you? You know, uh, tell us, you know, what, what kind of prompted you to take this on? You know, I've actually been covering this issue literally every day since March. And when I started to become involved in it was very early on, we were having scheduled a, a, an event to honor health heroes at WebMD. And it was planned to be in person. I was in New York at that time. And that's just around the time that the pandemic really started to become, you know, affecting everyone's lives, especially in New York City. And the city had to shut down. We had to switch our event to virtually. And the CEO, Bob Briscoe, made the commitment, we need to be out there front and center and make sure we provide our audiences the best, most credible information and use the strength of our brand to make those connections, to curate the best content, and then distribute it across all the platforms. Because he knew up front that there would be a lot of misinformation out there. So we needed to balance that from the beginning because we are a trusted source. We are a trusted brand. And that has been our commitment from day one, addressing the issue every day. And I'll be honest, Corey, I didn't think I'd still be doing this <laughs> nine months later. Uh, and I would say we're still going to be doing it for many months after this. Yeah. I mean, just with this you know, second wave, it just seems like it's just getting getting worse. It feel it feels like it's it's getting worse, um, and I don't know if it's because of the lack of of knowledge. I mean, I feel like people kind of understand the importance, but why do you feel that you know it just feels like it's just this never ending thing? What what is going on? I think there is a fatigue, and, and we've been using the word you know coronavirus fatigue. We've been at this for eight, nine months. I remember early on when they said, we're going to do this for 15 days, for 30 days. And here, nine months later, it's mm -hmm. still going on. And then you look on TV, you see that people aren't wearing masks. You see these huge football games, maybe not as big as they were before, but a lot of people. And you start to wonder, is it really worth it? Why am I doing all these things? Why am I physically distancing? Why am I 
not seeing friends and wearing a mask everywhere. And it's been a challenge. And, and we've politicized science. We, we've mm. made wearing a mask a political statement when it should be a scientific endeavor in terms of preventing transmission of a respiratory virus. So there's been a lot of missteps along the way. And then I think there's been confusing information sometimes from our senior leaders and people just put their hands up in the air and say, I'm not doing it. And that's become a real challenge. And that has caused spread of the virus. The spread of misinformation, let's be honest, has yeah. caused the spread of the virus. Because when, when you mix misinformation with just your anxiety or your stress of the issue, we're always going to persuade ourselves of what we want to hear. So it's like, if, oh, I don't, need, I don't need to wear this mask because my friend had a party with 30 people there and, and mm-hmm. nobody got sick, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit you until someone you really know or yourself gets, you know, starts to have that sore throat or it doesn't feel good. And don't you get tired of those stories when you hear people in the news say, oh, I wasn't taking it seriously. And then I got, you know, infected. And now, now I take it seriously. Yeah, but you also might have exposed other persons as well. You know, I try to frame it to people of why cases are going up, why we're seeing increased hospitalizations. The virus doesn't go away on its own. You have to do something to prevent prevent the spread. It's a respiratory virus, which means we get it from other people. So how do you minimize that risk? Doing nothing is not going to protect you, your community and your family members. So it's really been frustrating that we're not listening to science. We're not listening to the experts who have dealt with other infectious pandemics. Right. Kind of been there, done that. Like they're just not talking for no reason. (laughs) Nothing to the scope of this that any of us have seen in our lifetime, but that just speaks to the urgency of doing everything that we can to get schools completely reopened, to get businesses completely wide open, to return to a sense of normalcy. And I, at times it's, it's frustrating because if we all did a little more, we'd be in a better place. Absolutely. And that kind of leads to my next, my next question is the holidays are right around the corner. Um, 40% of people are intend to still gather and in, in with large amounts of people. Uh, how, do you feel like this is, this can be kind of a make or break uh, holiday for the, for what's going on? Like what, what are some of your, I guess, solutions to help people get through the holidays and, mm-hmm. And if we are, people are, are going to gather regardless if they think mm-hmm. it's the right thing or not. So how can we get through this safely? And we're trying to provide the best information because better information is going to lead to better health. So we can make those recommendations that people don't travel, don't congregate with people that don't live in their you know immediate household. So what do we do about people that are still going to do it? What I don't want people to do is an all or none, meaning I'm going to follow everything. Or I'm not going to follow any of them. There are some people that are going to be in that middle ground. So how do we help them still stay safe, stay, stay safe? Mm-hmm. And you know, that is, you know, reminding them that you limit it to a, a few hours. It doesn't need to be a 16 hour day as it might've been in, in previous years. And that could be a good thing for your mental health. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have buffet style. 
this year. It's played it for everyone ahead of time. There's no shared utensils. You might have to forego football uh, in the evening when everyone's sitting close to each other on the sofa and, and using common bowls of snacks. So I'm not saying that you you cancel the holidays. I don't think one should because there's a lot of satisfaction and gratitude and happiness that we get from them. But how can we do it differently? It's not always possible to, to eat outside and people are always saying that, but maybe you can open the windows. Maybe mm. you can limit the number of people that you have to your household or where you go and maybe have another celebration a week later. There's nothing that precludes that. So you need to think of ways of being creative. You know, Corey, one thing that I've been thinking about lately is, do we have the right messaging to people? Meaning, let's be honest, it's a bit of doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. We tried that with smoking for many years and we saw that that didn't work. So if we say to people, if you gather for Thanksgiving, you're going to plan a funeral for Christmas. I'm not sure that works for, right. for many people. So how do I help them understand this is why it's important for you. This is why it's important for your family and your community. You know, help them understand by doing these things now, we can make sure that we have, you know, a near normal Thanksgiving next year, that we can get our businesses more open, that we can get the schools fully reopened and help them think about it that way rather than, you know, doom and gloom. We have to recognize the seriousness of it but I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Sometimes I think we're, we may not be sending the right messages to yeah. everyone. I think through all of this, I feel like just, just take example. What, what I do is some coaches will, if they have a patient in their office that is, um, has multiple chronic diseases, obesity, you know, diabetes, some people will tell them all the things that's going to happen to them if they don't stop. Like, hey, if you don't if you don't stop this lifestyle, yeah. you'll die, or you know your diabetes will get worse, and you'll lose feet or whatever. They'll start telling about all the negative things that can happen, instead of giving them a plan and a structure on how not for that to happen. And then we tell them you can't do this, you can't do that, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> and, you know, I love for example, because I often will say to patients, you know what, if you just reduce the amount of food that you ate, whether it's good or bad for you, just start off with that. Reduce portion size of everything. Then then you're going to lose weight and then start to add those healthy habits and take away some of those unhealthy habits. But just telling people you can't do this, that, you know, all yeah. of that, and then don't give them any guidance as what they can do or incrementally change that's where I think we've had some challenges here. And, and you bring up a good point in terms of health coaching, how, you know, different patients are at different stages too. Yeah. We can't have one size fits all in terms of messaging. And, and we need to improve upon that in, in terms of COVID messaging. Yeah. And I, I just, I hate to always look back, but I've all, I just wonder if, if the messaging and the messengers were maybe, you know, on the same page, would we be talking about how to have a safe Thanksgiving right now? If we had this conversation, you know, yeah. nine months ago, what would things look like right now? As far Let's as be honest, we have not had consistent messaging. <laughs> we have not had the same discussion of, of data. That has been a huge challenge. We, we have to acknowledge that. And, and let's move forward from that. We, we should have a, a 
coordinated federal response. We should be hearing the same messaging from all the public health officials, including our elected leadership. Hopefully we'll, we'll start to get there. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, um, that kind of leads to something I've been thinking about that's kind of, you know, been on my heart for a month now and how COVID-19 has really affected, um, you know, individuals in, you know, low, lower economic areas and lower economic communities, you know, African-American communities, Mm -hmm. uh, Latino communities, you know, the immigrant community here in Des Moines, we had a man, just a rush in the beginning of these immigrant communities that worked in these Mm -hmm. factories. And it was just a lot. And, you know, that comes into play. My question is, you know, how is, you know, social determinants of health, which has always been a thing, but it's it's Mm -hmm. kind of been on the rise and been talked about more as of late. How is that affecting, how are the social determinants of health affecting those people in, in the pandemic? Is there, is there a correlation? Social determinants of health play a huge role in health disparities. And I think COVID has ripped the bandaid off and shown the world how stark these differences are. Six times the death rate in communities of color compared to Caucasians. And there's many reasons why that is. There's the their underlying health conditions, greater incidence of hypertension and, and diabetes and obesity of people of color that put them at greater risk. But they were also typically working in jobs that are frontline workers, bus mm-hmm. drivers, sanitation, police officers. They often live in areas where there wasn't ability to have testing where they'd have to drive very far without the ability of having a vehicle. So it's the systemic issues of the healthcare system that worked against them. But it's also those social determinants that you're talking about. When we want to tell people to eat fresh fruits and vegetables and there's no grocery store, (laughs) you know, where they live, that the schools are are not high quality, where they're getting poor education. And what we're going to see going forward is because we're going to have limited resources post-COVID, we're not going to be able to invest in everything. So are we going to invest in parks where people can have safe places to be and, and physically active? Are we going to create tax incentives to have more healthy eating options come into poor communities? Those are the discussions that I think we're going to start having that we've been talking about for a long time, but with limited resources, with the reality of how COVID has impacted communities of color, we may finally get there. Um, So, yeah, so like I was saying, Dr. John is, you know, especially in, you know, those, you know, African-American communities or those lower income communities, um, people are nervous. For the simple fact is that, you know, I know a lot of older African-American people are afraid to go to the hospital. Um, so they may they may have all of the symptoms from COVID and do, will not go to the hospital because they're afraid if they think if they go. And I've heard this from people. Mm-hmm. If they go, then they will die. Mm-hmm. And that's that is that's very interesting to me, where it's like the place that you would think that you would want to go to, to get the help you need. There's this, there's this fear in the, in the community of, of going. And it's like, I'll just deal with it at home on my own. And that speaks to the issue of trust. You know, one of the ways we need to address this is we need to have 
more people of color as physicians, as nurses, as health professionals to help restore that trust. We need to invest in communities more. We need to be out there talking about how it's safe to come in to the hospital right now. You know, early on, we were saying, don't come to the hospital. And now we're saying you need to come. So it can be some mixed messages at time. And, And the other thing is we also have to be culturally sensitive as well in in terms of messaging. I I was talking to a Hispanic physician the other day about content. And he said, you know, one of the big challenges, people just take content in English and want to put it through Google Translate and think that's your Spanish content. Well, that just doesn't work. And I'm like, really? Are people still thinking that, you know, in 2020? And he's like, absolutely. So it's, it's also being culturally sensitive. And the healthcare community hasn't always done a good job. We know that in terms of reaching out to different communities. I'm hoping that one of the lessons learned from this pandemic is how now's the time that we truly need to address disparities. We need to do it from multiple angles. And it's not just about access to the doctor, access to the hospital. That's important. But it's also the social determinants that we referenced a little while ago that can be equally as important. Because in some areas of the country, Corey, your zip code is more important than your genetic code in terms of how long you live and what you die of. And and how can that be in, in terms of where we are today in technology and innovation? And, you know, Martha Luther King was quite prescient when he said the greatest disparity is the disparity in health. Because if you don't have your health, you have you really have nothing. It starts there. It starts with your health, and it's so unfortunate that the what you just said, where where you live, mm-hmm. can determine how you die, or it, when you die, or how long you live, or how well you live. And and we see that. I, I like to point out how in Boston you can't spit and not hit a teaching hospital. <laughs> All right. And where you live on the T, their public transportation line, there can be a 15-year, 20-year difference in lifespan based wow. simply on where you live. That's outrageous. And, and we need to address it in a, in a comprehensive, systematic way. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, where, where do we go from here? You know, like we, we, we have, we have the, the great information from WebMD and, you know, you've been, you've been hitting it hard and doing all the, the heavy lifting, you know, for that, edu- for the, for educating people mm-hmm. and, you know, what, what's next? Like, how can we take this information and, and apply it to where we won't be having this conversation by the summertime or this time next year? Yeah. Well, we need good partners to help spread good information. The challenge is everyone who has a Twitter handle or an Instagram page isn't an expert in public health. And they put out these messages and, and people believe them. And sometimes how search works is the more provocative you are, the higher you're going to rank. So even if I write this ridiculous post and people write negative things about it, it's going to rise in terms mm-hmm. of search because it's going to have engagement. So how do we work with the social media companies and others to more effectively address 
search as it relates to credible information. I think we're starting to make progress on that and then continue to help communicate to people about, you know, how do we stay sane while we stay safe? And, and if you think about it, we have made amazing progress. We had no therapeutic options in, in February and March. And here we have multiple therapies, some approved, such as remdesivir, some authorized, such as monoclonal antibodies, convalescent plasma, and we have more in development. You know, we've had some bumps in testing, but now we're talking about in-home testing for COVID. Mm. And we have multiple candidates for, you know, effective and safe vaccination programs. So we're making a lot of progress, but it's not as if next month, everything's going to be back to normal. And we have to start thinking about what is the next normal? You know, what's the new normal? How do we learn from this? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, if if it were me, I feel like I, I think masks are are a great thing. I have no issue with them. Like they don't they don't bother me. I, I, I think if it's if I'm if I am protecting myself and somebody else, what what is the big issue? I I was just talking to someone else the other day that I don't I don't see masks going away anytime soon. I think you're right. They're going to be here for a while. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. The reality is it's going to take a while to get everyone vaccinated. Just the logistics of it, the manufacturing of the different vaccines, as well as acceptance of the vaccine, because we've eroded confidence in our public health agencies. It's sad, but we have, there's lots of reasons why that is, you know, we have to get to a certain point of herd immunity, typically 70% to really quash the virus. And that's going to take a little bit of time. So the challenge is if you think, oh, there's a vaccine around the corner, I'll just do what I want. That's going to make the matter worse in the short term. Yeah, I was just I was just wondering that, like thinking that people are like they keep hearing about the vaccines mm-hmm. coming or the vaccine should be good by December. And well, what's your mentality around hearing that information? Are you now just like, oh, okay, cool? Like I'll just I'll just do what I want and wait for right. this vaccine. But there's a little bit more than just th- than that. There's a little bit more to it before you can get the vaccine. Well, we've been surveying people on this, and we also hear that a third of people say they'll take it, but they won't be the first group of folks that take it. They're going to wait several months. That can be a challenge, too, because if everyone waits and I say, hey, Corey, I'm going to wait and see how you do. (laughs) We all can't do that because then people aren't getting it. We need to, to be able to get to that critical mass pretty quickly. Great, great. So. I feel just, just talking about well, one thing, talking about the information I, I had this thought mm-hmm. is um, unfortunately with real information, isn't always attractive. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's not, it doesn't have that. There's, there's no really exciting Boring. title you can give or actual information, information and data. But I think that doing more of this and talking about it and, you know, spreading the word from reliable people is, is going to be important, regardless of how boring it is or not. So I, I'm very grateful for you being on the podcast because, um, still to this day, I have people who are very, that don't really know, like, like, what is coronavirus? Like, what are we doing? Like, why am I wearing this mask? They just, they just don't know. Mm -hmm. Being able to give them a resource is, is very beneficial. Because we've been spread this idea that there is fake news and Mm -hmm. you can say fake news in politics is one thing, but fake news in health and medicine 
actually impacts people's lives. Yeah. In terms for some people, whether they live or die, it's, it's, it's real. And the challenge is, you know, when we talk about these things, sometimes it involves math and trial design and you know, people don't want to hear that. They, yeah. they want to be entertained. Right. So how do we make things interesting? I, I was doing an interview earlier today when someone asked me, great question, how do you know the vaccine's effective? And, and the issue is you do a clinical trial, even the words placebo. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there were 170 cases in for a Pfizer's drug, 162 were in the group that were not vaccinated, eight were in the group that was vaccinated, Moderna was 95 cases, 90 in the group that was not vaccinated, five in the group that was vaccinated. I'm pretty sure people were tuning out <laughs> after <laughs> you asked the question, but I was trying to point out is we know because in the group that was vaccinated, they got fewer infections. And maybe I should have just led with that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but people have short attention spans. We have to remember that as well. Right. But how do we get people to trust science. That's what I'm concerned about. Mm. Where there's an attack on science, there's an attack on the messengers of science. That's crazy. Yeah. Everyone can't have their own facts. People don't recognize that at times. People can have their own opinion, but you don't have your own facts. In the past, people would say, I don't understand science, right? Right. Now they're attacking science. And making it, you have your science and I have mine. Well, no, we don't. Right. We and you really have to listen to the experts and put it into context. Absolutely. And since you don't understand, then you're wrong. Like, since I don't mm -hmm. understand you, Dr. Dr. White, mm -hmm. you're wrong because I can't understand it. And that's that's not that's not helping anybody, that that mindset or right. that that attitude towards it. You mm -hmm. know, so having having someone that has the resources who's done the work and mm -hmm. and I'm not saying have almost I feel like you you have to have a a blind faith if you if you don't believe in the science that much believe in the person that's telling you who has the background has been doing a lot of the work mm -hmm. yes so Dr. John White thank you so much for being on the podcast today I really appreciate it um, no, it, I appreciate what you're doing of getting good information out there. You're doing what I was talking about. You're entertaining people. You're finding compelling personalities to talk to as well as yourself. So kudos to you. Well, well th you thank doing. you. Thank you so much. I just, you know, I, I want to, I just want to do my part and, and this is, and this is how I can do it. So <laughs> I'm thankful for that. If anybody wants to hear more about, um, the data and, and the things that you're doing with uh, COVID-19, where can they find more like of your podcast and, and sure. some of your information? The show is called Coronavirus in Context. We air it every day. You can watch it at webmd.com. It's on the homepage. You can follow us obviously on all our social properties, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter at WebMD. You can follow me at Dr. John White, my name on, on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram, and, and I'll look forward to engaging with your audience in the future. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And everyone, thank you for listening. I'll hear you next time.